what we believe about eternity and what happens to us after we die will determine how we live our life here. And so we're doing this little series of messages called, Then What? And last week we talked about what happens after we die. And of course, we all know that we will all physically cease to exist. But God says at the same time clearly that we all exist eternally in one of two places. And so last week we talked about death. Next week we're going to talk about heaven. And today we're talking about hell. Now, where do most people get their information or their thoughts about hell? I think often it's from places like the movies, or they read some books, or they talk to their friends, but mostly they just don't like to think about it or talk about it at all. Most of the current studies would suggest that a majority of people, a sizable majority of people, believe in heaven. A lot less people believe in hell, and very, very, very few people think they're going to hell. And the reason for that is they think, well, that's just a place for the, you know, for the murderers of this world, for the terrorists of this world, but Jesus viewed it quite differently. In the book of Matthew, he said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Today we're going to talk about a righteous, just, holy God and the horrors of hell. Craig Rochelle has said, if we don't accept the reality of hell, we will never appreciate the glory of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus. C.S. Lewis in his various writings, like The Great Divorce and The Screwtape Letter, suggests some of the techniques that Satan uses to sort of diffuse this idea of hell. And so he'll say things like this, well, you know, hell doesn't really exist. And if it doesn't exist, you shouldn't take it too seriously. It'll just be a place for those very few people that go there, a place where you hang out with your friends. And you'll suffer a little bit, but it won't be too bad. Most people are not going to go there, and for sure you're not going to be going there. You need to be very casual about all of this. In fact, you can be very casual about the idea of God. You can say that you believe in him, but in reality, that so-called belief, it really doesn't need to affect your life very much and how you live your life. And so you can really just do whatever you want. And in a sense, he's encouraging you to just justify your sins. And sure, you can just reject the word and the work of Jesus, because after all, there's many ways to God. For believers, for people that are followers of Jesus Christ, the evil one would sort of gently suggest, surely your loving God wouldn't really let people go there. After all, you're on the way to heaven, you've got it made, so you've worked hard, so it's, it's really sort of okay for you to be a bit self-centered. You can give a lot of your time over to being comfortable, to, you know, just rejecting sacrifice. And of course, of course, you want to avoid any kind of persecution. 
you want to take God seriously, but, but come on, you shouldn't take him too seriously. And whatever you do, don't go out of the way, go out of your way and embarrass yourself sharing your faith with people. They'll laugh at you because it's probably all going to come out in the wash later anyways, right? If God is good and loving, why does hell exist? Well, let me suggest a couple of reasons. And the first one would be hell exists for God to deal righteously and justly with Satan. The scripture tells us a number of things about the evil one. He calls him the evil one. And Satan, we're told in John chapter 8, is the father of lies. Whenever he's speaking, he's telling lies. He might tell 98% of the truth, but the crucial elements that just change the direction, he will lie about. He's the embodiment of evil. John chapter 10 says his whole goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. He's called the prince of darkness. He's the one that's ultimately behind every abuse, behind pain. He's our adversary. First Peter says he's like a roaring lion going around seeking who he can devour. He's our enemy. He's trying to kill faith. He's trying to kill your marriage. He's trying to destroy your life. We see in the book of Ezekiel and in the book of Luke that before we were created, he tried to take God out. He tried to take God's place. And there was an epic battle. And Satan lost and was crushed by God. And we are told because of all of these things, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, which we read last week, that because of all of those things, that one day, eventually, he will be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur to be tormented day and night, the verse says, forever. And because he's a sore loser, he wants to take you with him. The second reason that hell exists is it exists for God to deal righteously with unbelievers. And this is hard. It's hard to talk about. It's hard to hear. But you know, right now, if you're looking at what's going on in our world right now, particularly here in North America, you really can't turn on a computer or turn on a TV or open an email without hearing about justice. Everybody is talking about the issue of justice or injustice and that it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be worked on. And someone should pay for the injustices of our society. And I would absolutely agree. A just injustice breaks the heart of God and needs to be dealt with. But I think if you began to probe deeper with those defenders of justice and got personal with them and said, they would say to you, oh, I want there to be justice on this earth, but I don't want there to be justice based on what I really deserve in life. I don't want God to treat me the way I deserve. I want the God of love to ignore my choices. I don't want to be answerable ultimately for the things I choose to do. It's okay if God is holy. He can do whatever he wants, but personally, I want to be able to do whatever I want, and I don't want to receive what I deserve. I would suggest to you that it's impossible for God to be holy. 
And in fact, it's impossible for God to be loving if he's not just. If you actually love someone, if you actually love someone, you're not going to let them just go out and do whatever they want. Can you really be loving without being just? That's why God is just, because he is holy, he is righteous, he is merciful, he is loving, and he is just. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 this, it says, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Back to what Craig said. If we do not appreciate the reality of hell, We will never appreciate the glory of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus. Remember, it is not God's posture. It is not God's desire to see people choose to go to hell. He doesn't want that to happen. This is why he sent his son, his only son, to die for us, to die in our place. So that the grace purchased for us by Christ on the cross can be applied in our life. It's not something we can earn. It's certainly not something we deserve. It's just a free gift that God offers us. And he says, here's the choice. You can spend eternity in heaven with me because of what Christ did for you, or you can choose to go to hell. Let me give you Another glimpse of hell. We've been talking about it a bit. If you have your Bible or your device, turn with me to Luke chapter 16, the third book in the New Testament. Luke chapter 16, and we're going to begin reading in verse 19. And I recognize that the context of this passage, if you were to read the verses surrounding it, is about an inappropriate, inappropriate fixation on the love of money. And there's nothing wrong with money. I've talked to you about this numerous times. But the Pharisees were in love with money. And they had this misconstrued idea that some people still have. That if I have enough money, that is an indication that God is pleased with me and has blessed me. And they looked at Jesus and they said, it appears like he doesn't have any resources. Therefore, he's not tight with God. And so they equated the love of money and going after money with God smiling on them. This story, some would suggest this parable, illustrates and answers that question, but it also illustrates and talks about truth of what happens to those who reject Christ and reject grace. God never uses an untruth to make a point. He uses the truth. So let's begin reading with that in mind in verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. That's a way of talking about heaven. The rich man also died and was buried in hell. 
Now it's translated in the NIV in hell, and the real word there is Hades. And what the idea is, is Hades or hell, and in the case of the Old Testament, Sheol is a temporary place after a time person dies, but before the judgment we spoke about last week. A place for those who have rejected Christ, who have not received Christ as Savior and Lord, where they will go. A place that where you're absent from the body is the beginning of ongoing suffering. And this is what the passage teaches. Hell or Gehenna, the time after the judgment, is a continuation of this same kind of judgment. The word Gehenna comes from the Valley of Hinnon, which is just uh, on the south part of Jerusalem. I've been to this valley a number of times. And this valley, in my mind, is really an illustration of how Satan tries to deceive us, in a sense, about what hell is like. Because when you go in this little valley, it's been beautifully landscaped, and it's quite pleasant to walk in. And this is what Satan likes to think, makes to make us think that hell is going to be like. But in Jesus' day, the Valley of Hinnon was the garbage dump of Jerusalem, where they would burn waste and sewage and dead animals and dead criminals. It was a place where there was a continual fire burning, where it smelled horribly, where it was covered with maggots and worms and burning flesh. The Bible describes hell or Gehenna as a fiery furnace, burning sulfur, the lake of fire, a place of nonstop, unending pain, a horrible place, a place of isolation. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says, some people think they're just going to hang with their friends there. Not so. It's a place of literal conscious torment, a place where you're also permanently removed. In 2 Thessalonians, it says, and also in this passage we're reading, permanently removed from the presence of God, a place of no hope, a place where you are fully aware that you rejected the only one who perfectly loves you. Let's keep reading. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. See, if you reject the offer of forgiveness and salvation from Christ. The best it will ever be for you is here on earth. But when we receive Christ and have a relationship with God by grace through Christ, the worst it will ever be for us is here on earth. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who go from here to you cannot from those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. 
Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. He's referring to the 39 books of the Older Testament. He's saying the way to know how to have a relationship with God through the Messiah, through Christ, is all outlined there and points to Jesus. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. They will own their sin. They will ask for forgiveness based on Jesus. He said to them, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So four quick lessons from those verses. First of all, the rich man was fully conscious and fully aware. Some people live with this fantasy that after you die, you just go to sleep or you're numb or you're in limbo. In this passage spoken to us by Jesus, he wasn't asleep, he wasn't in limbo, he was experiencing real, physical, ongoing torment and pain. And he was also experiencing the pain of emotional regret. Secondly, his eternal destiny was permanent. He's told you can't go from one place to the other. And so he didn't ask for things to change because he knew he couldn't have things change because of his choices. He also knew, thirdly, that his suffering was just. Did you notice that he complained and made note of the fact that he was in pain, but he didn't complain about the justice of what he received. He knew he was getting what he deserved. And finally, and this is really important, he begged for someone to go to his brothers and help his brothers know Jesus. They need to be warned. They need to be told that they need to repent. I don't want them to come to this place of torment. See, what we believe about eternity and what happens to us after we die determines how we live our life now. The devil is busy trying to convince people that hell is no big deal. It's not even a real place. And if it is a real place, it's not a problem because we're all going to heaven if there even is a heaven. You can be self-centered. You can live for yourself. You can make whatever choices you want. You can do what you want because really sin is no big deal and you are in charge of your life. And it's okay if you don't connect with Jesus because there's many ways to God. And he says to those of us that are Christians, that are followers of Christ, there's no need for you to pray for lost people. You don't need to worry about them. There's no need to be sacrificial in how you live your life. There's no need for you to share the good news of Jesus with people because they'll laugh at you. And whatever you do, don't put yourself in a position where you might be persecuted because you're a follower of Christ. You can do whatever you want. You've worked hard. You deserve to be comfortable. Hell is not a place to take seriously. Once or twice a year, I say what I'm about to say to you, and it is the most serious thing I can say. A hundred years from now, everyone you know, everyone you love, everyone who hears what I'm saying is going to be in one of two places. There is no ambiguity. God is extremely clear about this. 
Well, someone says, God doesn't want to send good people to hell, does he? This is one of Satan's biggest lies, that I am good. And so what we do is, is we compare ourselves and we go, I'm not a horrible person. I do good things. I wasn't like Hitler. I wasn't like Mao. I wasn't like Paul Pot. And I come off looking pretty good compared to them. And probably I do do some good things in life. But as I always say, we're never in scripture compared to other people. We are always compared to God. He is the standard. And by that comparison, I am not good. I do sinful things. I am self-centered. I am lost. I am destined for hell. Just like the five brothers of Abraham, of, Laz, of the rich man rather, in Luke chapter 16. The scripture says that Satan is real. That he is here to lie to us, to steal, to kill, to destroy. Jesus, it says in John chapter 10, says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Jesus is the exact opposite of the evil one. And so relationship with God is not just about avoiding hell. It's about experiencing the very grace of God purchased for us by Christ. It's about experiencing the goodness of God, the power of his mercy, his holiness, his righteousness, the love that a good God has for you. And he wants you to experience that every day. He wants to change your life. He wants to make you a new creation in Christ. He wants to change our priorities and have eternity in mind as we live. So why do we talk about hell? We talk about hell because what we believe about eternity and what happens to us after we die affects how we live life today. And if we don't have a sense of the very real horrors of hell, we will never appreciate the goodness and the grace of the price God paid for us by sending Jesus to die on the cross. Because he looked at us and he knew it was hopeless. There's nothing we can do to pay for or earn our way back into relationship with holy God. It only comes... It only comes based on Jesus' sacrifice for us so that we can choose to have relationship with God in heaven or we can choose to reject Jesus and go to hell. And so there's two reactions I'd like to comment on. And in a moment, it's for those that have not yet entered into a relationship with God through Jesus, and I'll come back to you in just a moment. But now for those of us that are followers of Christ, I encourage you, we must take the reality of hell seriously. Lost people matter to God. And if you or I did an overview of our life in the last five months since COVID struck, what does the way we have lived our lives say what we really believe about eternity? Is there anything that the Spirit of God is putting his finger on in my life right now, in your life right now, that he wants me to be aware of and to serve it way in that way in light of eternity? What about those that are here or are listening that have never turned their life over to Jesus? And now you're saying, Scott, I realize 
I always thought I was compared to other people, but now I realize I'm compared to God, and I have done sinful things. I realize I need forgiveness. I need to repent just like the five brothers did in Luke chapter 16. I realize that I need the grace of God, the forgiveness purchased for me by Jesus on the cross. I realize there's nothing I can do to measure up and I want to turn my life over to him. I want my future life to be with God in heaven, but I also want him to make me into a new person, a new creation, and to walk with me each day. Well, if this is the case, I call on you to pray and just talk to God that way. You can just talk to him like a dear friend. Tell him that. Admit the fact that you've done sinful things. We all have. Ask for his forgiveness based on what Jesus did for you on the cross. Not based on what you have or haven't done. Receive Jesus as your savior and say, I'm surrendering my life to you. My life is yours. Do with it as you see fit. And then when you're done and you've prayed and you thanked him for saving you, go and tell someone what you've done. Write us or phone us here at the church and we will help you begin growing in your new relationship with Christ. As we wrap this message, I'd like to pray with you. Let's all pray together. Bow our heads and close our eyes. I pray, Heavenly Father, and thank you so much for the beautiful truth of your salvation and relationship that's available to everyone. We pray that your truth would utterly transform us. We pray like the rich man that you will give us a sense of urgency to reach his brothers, to reach the people around us that are lost, the people that need Jesus. We pray that you will give us an eternal perspective on life. Help us to live knowing that the enemy is out there trying to destroy us, but he is a defeated foe. That because Christ went to the cross and rose from the dead, the evil one is defeated. And we have the victory in Christ. We pray and we would just offer our lives now. Give us very personal opportunities to share the good news of Jesus, to share the story of what Jesus has done in our life with people around us. Help us to know what to do, when to say, and, what, and how long, and, and the timing of what we should say to these folks. We would pray that we would show love, not in a condemning way, but in a way that's grace-filled. And we pray that you would fill us with your spirit and that you would lead people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray and we offer our lives to you. May you be blessed and honored through it. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.